Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I'm John Negroni from the Internet, California, and chasing his love interest across a Manhattan, devastated by J.J. Abrams' imagination, it's Will Ashton. Hey. <laughs> and converting his bunker into a real-life dial-up dungeon while the outside world gets ravaged by diseases, it's Soundmaster Maverick Hines. Hello. Good to be back. And I of course, we have, a, we have a special guest this week, chasing his severed arm down a hallway, yelling for it to ease up on the highlighters, it's Sam Noland. <laughs> That's right, John. How are you? Great, Sam. Sam, welcome for the first time to the main show. You've been on a last call of Cinemaholics. Yes, it's good to be here. I like it. It's roomier. Yeah. Well, we're, we're happy to have you, you know, because for those of you who don't know, Sam Nolan is a longtime contributor of com, and more recently, uh, you are helping out with uh, uh, write-ups, too. You've got your Interstellar uh, write-up that just came out this past week, and it's fantastic. Uh, so you guys should go totally go check that out. Um, but also... Uh, Sam, you, uh, you've been part of uh, Now Conspiring, the podcast that uh, was the predecessor to this one, and part-time characters, and maybe a couple other goodies in the future. I don't know. Who knows? Only time will tell. <laughs> well, uh, we actually do have a couple of big announcements for you guys. Uh, first of all, we are reviewing The Cloverfield Paradox. Everyone's excited to talk about this movie. Maverick's all smiles, um, <laughs> which is the opposite. <laughs> like As soon as I mention Cloverfield Paradox, Maverick, your whole demeanor just sort of shifts a little bit, but... We're still going to talk about it, and uh, <laughs> we're going to review that and plenty of other films this week. We're going to be talking about Peter Rabbit, The 1517 to Paris, Altered Carbon, and a few more, so stay tuned for all of that. But uh, probably our biggest announcement, we have two really big announcements. Uh, the first one is that we are officially on Spotify. Do any of you guys use Spotify? Nope. Nope. Not at the moment. Great. <laughs> See, I knew none of you did. So I kind of had to... Okay, many people use Spotify and, and like to use More Spotify. More people use Spotify than like we are, other options. Yeah, this is not a representative sample. <laughs> like, Yeah. But for, yeah, Spotify now has podcasts. So uh, if you are a Spotify listener or if you would like to use Spotify, it is there's like a free tier of it. Uh, you can find our show and you can listen to our entire archive. So just another way for you guys to get Cinemaholics uh, on your daily, whatever you do. And uh, we have another huge announcement that we're going to be talking about in more detail as the weeks pass. You're pregnant. Um, with great uh, news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we now officially... I don't know if that's like a thing. Can you be pregnant with... Meh. Have you not seen Try. Junior? Uh, not since I was like 10. Tread lightly. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but no, we are, we, we are officially uh, using Patreon um, for Cinemaholics. This is, this Give is a big Give us money! Deal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ma- Maverick, would you like to explain like, how our Patreon works? Uh, I don't know because I ignored everything you guys were talking about it. (laughs) Okay, but can you explain what Patreon is? Patreon is a place where you, our listeners who care about us, or hate me and just want to give them enough money to the point where they can fire me. That's an option for you. We're working on it. It's a place where you can go. (laughs) It's a place, you know, it's Briggsby got to me this week. We'll talk about that later. It's fine. He's he's a friend. Separate topic. Um, Anyway, Patreon is a website where you can go to, and if you want to be a contributor to Hake, to help make Cinemaholics happen. Uh, there are different tier levels where you can uh, offer contributions and, like I said, just kind of help us keep this going, help us go see movies every week, 
uh, kind of like an ongoing Kickstarter to just help make yeah. us. It's like along. subscribing to Cinemaholics, but like uh, not only are you donating, the cool thing about Patreon is that we're going to be giving you guys rewards um, yeah. for the Cinemaholics ones. So the way it works, like Maverick just said, uh, you can uh, donate a certain amount to Cinemaholics that helps uh, pay for, uh, it funds us basically, it allows us to go see movies, it allows us to um, pay our guests and do all of that stuff and our equipment, everything. Um, but also, we are going to be rewarding you guys with really cool extra stuff. Uh, things like early access to bonus episodes. Uh, you're actually going to be able to get like uncensored bonus audio from like conversations we have like off the air. We've got a lot of ideas we're kind of working on. Oh, to there's make, all to kinds make stuff of stuff interesting and worthwhile for you guys. And our tiers actually aren't bad. We even all. we even have one where uh, you can actually help direct an episode of Cinemaholics, a bonus episode with limited spaces. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not <laughs> opening it only like. Uh, a certain amount of people can do it, um, but that's like a big thing. Like if you have like the best idea ever for Cinemaholics, that's one way to to get into our get our attention. And uh, we're also working on uh, a new thing called Happy Hour, which is a live stream. So if you're a patron, you can do that. Um, even if you donate just a little bit to us, every little bit counts. Uh, we're offering um, all kinds of stuff for you guys to feel uh, you know plugged in and everything like that. So uh, you can get the link to our Patreon in our show notes page. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash cinemaholics just go to our show notes find that link and uh yeah thank you in advance for supporting the show and uh for those of you who love cinemaholics and you know listen every week and want to uh you know be a part of it uh and become a patron uh this is your chance it's finally happened should we also let them know about our instagram page we're launching here we're working on it i was i was gonna wait on the instagram i figured you edited it out i didn't know <laughs> well, maybe we keep it. We we'll let people keep them guessing. Oh, okay. Um, oh, Instagram. Oh. Um, <laughs> but we have another. We have another big announcement. So uh, I mentioned part of our Patreon is that we're going to be announcing. We're going to be putting out bonus episodes a week early. But you're probably thinking to yourself, "Well, you guys don't do bonus episodes all the time. So I'm, what's the point?" Well, that is actually going to change. One of the reasons we have Sam Noland on the show is because Sam Noland is going to be hosting the first official Cinemaholics spinoff podcast. Sam. What is this podcast? Tell us all about it. I'm glad you asked, John. So uh, uh, th- I'm going to say this, and I hope you don't take too much offense to it, but I've always thought, I've always wanted to do a podcast that wasn't over Skype. You know, like I've always thought that the chemistry was a lot better when you're in person and everything. Hard to uh, beat. What's that? It's hard to beat, like when you're in the same room. That's why Maverick and I are such good friends. That's why I'm always right so talkative together. during mini reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, taking shots and uh, <laughs> and uh, for the longest time, I just you know I didn't really know that many people who were uh, as into movies as I was. But luckily, I operate now in a field where there are all sorts of other people who love movies as much as I do, and uh, I made some friends very quickly. And two of them in particular, I I looked at them and I remember thinking, you know what? I want to start a podcast with those two. And lo and behold, here we are. Uh, they're my friends, Anthony and Jason. They're two of the most enthusiastic guys I know. Ex, pardon me, about uh, cinema. And they're two of the most knowledgeable people I oh, know they as are well. so smart about film. Like, it, it is amazing. How many films did uh, Jason see this year in 2017? Oh, God. Like I don't... 400 or something? It's... it's I think it's in the triple digits. I might be wrong. 400 was admittedly an exaggeration, oh, but it? it's, I took that seriously. It's like, no, I like, I believe it though. Uh, if somebody told me it, it, I believe it. It's, it's like, it's, it's gotta be like 75 at this point. Um, and, uh, so about early October, I think, 
Uh, we just started a little guerrilla warfare type podcast uh, using the voice memo recording thing on my phone. Uh, and we called it the unnamed podcast about movies. So it's a very compelling title, as yeah, you can tell. Very underground. That's right. Yes. Very unique. You can't very put the real name thing. over the air. People will find out. <laughs> it's too bad to be named. And when I say bad, <laughs> I mean like bad to the bone. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we did, uh, we, we were doing that. We were having a good time. You know, we weren't, we had like 20 viewers a week. Uh, they were loyal and we appreciated them. And then sometime around episode nine, your humble host, Mr. John Negroni, out of the blue offered me, hey, Sam. Uh, would you like me to upload your unnamed podcast onto uh, the Cinemaholics feed? And I was like, uh, yeah, how could I not, how could I even like think about that? You know? Uh, and so I decided, all right, I need a new title. This, we can't be unnamed anymore. We are significant enough to have a name. So I came up with a title anyway. That's all I got the show where we talk about movies and uh, occasionally try to sound smart it's uh we're really looking forward to the change um we're hoping that we're hoping that we find a very nice home here on cinemaholics and we're all really really looking forward to it i'm so excited because uh i listened to all 10 episodes on youtube uh, i not just because i'm a fan of you sam uh known you for a while but also because like genuinely like i was able to listen to the, every episode from start to finish and it, it like the the reason i came to you guys was because like clearly you guys fit the cinemaholics mold because you're not like straight up film critics, um, but you're not like casual moviegoers either. So you kind of fit oh, this no. really nice niche, right? Like you're kind of in between. And so that's the cinemaholics mission. Like we're all about like a balance of different perspectives and voices. We've got film critics. We've got uh, people who love to watch lots of movies and we got people who watch movies every now and again, but their opinion matters too. So uh, that's why I'm really excited about this, this spinoff. So the way it's going to work too, is that uh, every week uh, we're planning on Thursdays, a new episode of Anyway, That's All I Got is going to be coming out. Uh, and you don't have to subscribe. You don't have to do anything like that. It's going to be a, an extra bonus episode of Cinemaholics. And uh, it's going to be in tandem with our show. And uh, Sam, tell us about the first episode you guys are planning on doing. Well, the first episode, it's going to be a doozy because uh, we thought, because what for uh, our format for the first iteration of our show, at least, was we just sort of picked a topic and then we did either our top three or top five favorites. A uh, couple times we actually did top six because there were just too, too many options. And then for our final episode, we did the top 10 of 2017. But we want to go back to five. And uh, in honor of us remaking ourselves, we wanted to talk about our top five favorite remakes of all time. Uh, we were going to do top three best and worst, but we slowly started to realize that there's just too many and it's going to be impossible to choose just three. So uh, we're going to make it a twofer. And first episode, top five remakes out of the entire history of cinema, or at least what we know of it, our top five favorite remakes in honor of us remaking ourselves. So we're all doing insane amounts of research for that. Yeah, I can tell you guys are putting in the effort, and uh, yeah, uh, you guys can get a whiff of that spinoff show. It's going to be coming soon. Uh, we'll announce the exact start, uh, basically as soon as we know <laughs> we're going to put it out. But it's probably going to be on a Thursday, and uh, it's going to be tied into kind of reinventing ourselves, too, for season two of the show, uh, and this is just one of our many ways of doing that. So that's anyway, that's all I got. Look out for it in, uh, in your Cinemaholics feed coming soon. And with that, yeah. we should uh, we should jump into our review of the Cloverfield Paradox. Um, 
Will Ashen, can you, can you explain for, for people who don't know what, what, what is the deal with how the Cloverfield paradox was <laughs> released? All right. So with um, the past two Cloverfield movies, there was no real announcement before they came out. It was one of those things where the first movie, no one even heard about anything about it before June, July ish. Uh, I guess that was 20, 2007. Yeah, no title card. Just, yeah, no title card, anything. Just people were getting ready to watch the first Transformers movie. People actually had expectations for those movies, and they're like, well, it's going to be great. And then just before that movie started, we got this random weird little trailer for a uh, monster movie, and you didn't even see the monster. No one knew what's going on. It was like, what the? And then it just cuts off. It says, um, like, January 8th, 2008, right? I think that was uh, the date. Or January 18th, 2008, I think Where were you the day Cloverfield came out? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it was one of those things where just, like, the conspiracy, like, they built up this whole kind of internet world. Like, it was kind of just one, uh, like, internet fandom was really kind of building up. And they kept diverting people, making them think it's one thing or the other, like a Godzilla movie, a Mothra movie, something like that. And uh, eventually the movie came out was uh, just a found footage monster movie that didn't really have any connections to any other properties. Uh, and then that was kind of it. I mean, it was a solid movie. I liked it a lot. Other people had kind of mixed opinions on it. And uh, that was the end of the story until uh, just before another Michael Bay movie, uh, 13 Strong, out of nowhere, this project that went under a different name with John Goodman and uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead was announced to actually be 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was either a sequel or a continuation and theme of Cloverfield. And it was like, Hey, that movie's coming out in two months. Enjoy. <laughs> and then there wasn't quite the same, like crazy buildup, but it was still kind of like, Whoa, where'd this movie come from? What's going on? But with this new Cloverfield movie, it wasn't super clear what was going on, but we knew that there was a Cloverfield movie coming out for a while. We knew about it for at least a year, but they didn't drum up the buzz or really tell us anything about what it was other than like, it's a space movie and it might be called God particle. That's and then we knew the cast and that's about it. it we like, did know that okay. it was, Netflix got their rights at some point, but it wasn't. Well, that much, yeah. yeah, I was gonna lead up to. That. I was gonna say like initially they had a release date and then that got pushed and it kept getting pushed and pushed three or maybe even four times. And they were like, that's kind of troublesome. But uh, it was going to come out sometime around now in theaters, but then they pushed it to April. And it's like okay, I guess they're drumming out the buzz for that. But then yeah, like you said, there was word that. They were like P- Paramount wasn't really happy with the movie or something wasn't right. And I guess J.J. Abrams had promised to kind of help the movie. But because he signed on to Star Wars uh, Episode nine, that would be uh, he couldn't really get himself involved. So they were just like, we're just going to wipe our hands of this because Paramount was having a terrible year financially last year. And we was like, we just need to make whatever profit we can. So they gave it to Netflix. And then we didn't really hear anything until uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, Ava DuVernay was like, hey. Just heads up, film Twitter. Something's going to happen today. It's going to blow your mind. And no one really knew what it was. Everyone was speculating, but they were like, is this is this a Cloverfield movie? Is this going to like, <laughs> is this going to come out? Like, what's going on? Are we going to get a trailer? And then like more word came out. I was like, I think they're going to just drop the movie on Netflix. Like what? Like after the game? And yeah, then sure the enough, secret started to slip out for sure. Yeah. And I'm a little bummed that it came out beforehand because I think it had been a complete surprise during the game, like as you're watching it, just yeah. only the expecting first, a trailer. And I wasn't even, out, oh, I wasn't yeah. even watching the game, but I remember getting texts like well before the trailer dropped people being like, Oh, did you hear like Netflix is going to drop a movie, a Cloverfield movie right after the Super Bowl, Maybe I was one of those people. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, 
but still, I mean, it was unprecedented. It was a crazy moment. Just like all of a sudden, like six hours ago, we didn't know anything about what was going on with the release of the new Cloverfield movie. And then in those six hours, we had a Cloverfield movie in our laptops. Like it's a crazy moment. I mean, and the expectations, even though they were short lived, they were pretty high. Yeah. And uh, I speaking for me personally, those expectations were not met. Well, Watch it all. Well, let's let's talk about the movie as a as a whole here. Uh, we should point out, you know, I think we did know a couple of casting things going on. Like, I think we knew that David Oyelowo was going to be in the movie. Um, I didn't know that uh, it was also going to be starring Gugu and Batu Ra, Daniel Brühl, Chris O'Dowd, and uh, Jong Zee is in this, and Elizabeth Debicki. So yeah. there were a couple of surprises to that, and uh, the the director too. Like, are, are you familiar with Julia Sona? Because I wasn't. I was, was not. What else is? What else has this director done? Um, yeah, okay. So and we should mention, this is a director of color. So one of the things that people were really excited, like people really wanted to love this movie because right, the, course, the yeah. very diverse cast. Um, so that that's definitely a big part of it. But uh, as far as his filmography goes, uh, I think the, the only one I know of is The Girls in Trouble. But I think he's done more than that. And I don't know if he's done anything in television or what. So not, not a very well-known director here, but definitely somebody Whoa. who, you know... I mean, it, when you think about the first two Cloverfield mo- Field movies, they were both either a directorial debut for uh, Dan Trackenberg or like the only second sophomore film for Matt Reeves. So that's kind of the point of Cloverfield movies. They're supposed to boost the resume of otherwise not very well-known filmmakers. And that should have been the case for this guy. But I think he kind of got screwed over by decisions that might have been out of his control. Hmm. I can explain what I mean by that. Or do you want to well, let's, go into well, let's, about movie? let's talk about Cloverfield Paradox, the, the movie as a whole. I'm not really worried about spoiling it because I feel like anybody who cared enough to watch this movie already has. Um, we're not going to spoil, I guess, super major stuff, but I mean, we're not going to be very nice either. So if you don't, if you for whatever reason don't want to be spoiled at all in any plot developments, because uh, this movie crazy stuff happens, and like I, I think the best way to watch it is to not know what to expect before going in, right? So. That said, Hit let's just pause. talk about the movie. Yeah. Hit pause, go to the timestamps, and go to the mini reviews. But okay. No, so- I was just going to say hit pause on this, type in Netflix, yeah. type in Cloverfield, because for whatever reason, it's not on the main screen sometimes. You would think they'd put that front and center, but sometimes it's not. But uh, yeah, just go onto Netflix, watch the movie, and then come back here because yeah. it's super easy to find. Well, okay, so the movie takes place in 2028, um, which is kind of the first red flag of, like, why... It, how, so then how is this Cloverfield... And, like, trust me, the the theories are all over the place on, like, how this works. Um, and the basic also, setup... Also, uh, how they have technology well beyond our technology in 2018. In 2008 is another uh, thing that threw well, me off. I don't think that that's what they're going for. Because, like, all of these movies end with eight, right, in the year that they take place in. And then, so this movie is kind of like introducing like there's a particle accelerator. Uh, the Earth is having like this big energy crisis, and like ev- all the different nations have like teamed up to uh, create this particle accelerator that will provide the Earth with infinite energy. Here's the thing about that: the particle accelerator is called the Shepard Particle Accelerator. So when I first when I was watching this, if I didn't know that it was a Cloverfield movie, I would have assumed it was some kind of weird Mass Effect movie because of like you know what I mean? Because like first of all. Mass Effect takes place in space. Shepard, that's the exact spelling of the main character. So I, mean, I, I was a little confused. I was like, 
was this original was god particle originally supposed to be sort of like a ooh maybe this is our step into a mass effect thing before they decided it was cloverfield um i don't know doesn't seem like any of you guys agree but <laughs> i don't know so basically the movie then becomes event horizon um the bunch of parallel yeah. universes <laughs> things happen and uh, not in i don't do you guys like event horizon no uh, i know I, people like it i hate that movie I don't hate it. I want to respect it. It's better than most Paul W.S. Anderson movies, uh, but it's not good. I, I would say it's a bad film. Yeah. Sam well, Neill was great in it, though. Well, uh, as, far, as far as this movie goes, I would watch Event Horizon because it, even though that's a bad movie, I don't think Cloverfield Paradox is a terrible movie, but at least Event Horizon has, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, there's something well, watchable about it, I guess, or like, there's say... a reason to watch it. I mean, as watered down as Event Horizon is compared to what it could have been, at least it kind of owns up to its silliness. Whereas Cloverfield, this movie just feels super confused throughout. Like, it doesn't really know what it wants to be. And I think there's a good reason for that. But we'll talk about that. No, well, we're talking about it right now. Well, well I was just going to I mean, like, <laughs> what but, are you okay, waiting the reason for? I, keep, I don't know. Well, like, the thing is that, like, this is like a script that's been apparently around for about as long as the first Cloverfield movie. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was bounced around to several writers, several different people. I guess it just never got made until about a year or so ago, maybe even longer. They're finally going to get it made, and they're all excited, like, hey, J.J. Abrams is going to finally produce this movie. It's great. And then I guess while they were filming it, they were like, hey, just a heads up, we're actually going to make this kind of tie into the Cloverfield movies, mm-hmm. if that's cool with everybody. And it's like, okay, that's kind of weird, but whatever. And then they started doing more things with that, and they started to like have on the day script changes and as they were doing test screenings they added things like the whole subplot uh on earth that we can talk oh, about in the bit but. which is terrible and that's the thing that i hate like the first two cloverfield movies i genuinely enjoy i, th- I think that the best one is the second one but i also i rewatched the first cloverfield because it's been a decade since i've seen it that movie like legitimately holds up it's actually pretty good yeah but like the first one is a found footage. It was supposed to be a found footage Godzilla movie. Then they couldn't get the rights to Godzilla. So then they were like, well, we'll just give it our own thing and call it Cloverfield. So like, there's never been a plan. There's never been a, like, this is what Cloverfield's about. The only common threads are monsters attacking the earth. The word Cloverfield, they do a couple of cameos that like rec- occur in the movies and Slusho. they, they take place in, yeah, they take place in like with the end of like an eight or whatever. In, in the year that they take place in. What was the second? What year did the second one take place in? Uh, 2018, right? Was it 2018? I thought no. so. No. Oh, oh, wait. Does it take place in 2018? Yeah. Wasn't that the idea? Uh, the maybe I mentioned that in my that. head. The first one was 2008. This one was 2028. Yeah. I don't, I don't maybe know this is a paradox. I thought, I thought the, um, the second one was kind of vague as far as what time it was. Because it, it wasn't it really. It was. Like, if you take it by the year it was released, then it was 2016. No, but, no, no. But I mean, like, it doesn't. It's yeah. I'm not not to say it's like timeless, but like it doesn't really fit in any space or time because like we're we're all in this for the most part we're in this like self-contained bunker place, so it doesn't really like time is not really consistent or we like we're supposed to be kind of disoriented most of the time. So I don't think things essentially things I hate about Cloverfield Paradox. Then, aside from all of that stuff, Donald Logue basically telegraphing the entire movie in a commercial that obviously was reshot. Donald Logue, the guy. I know it's the same. Poor Donald Logue. Why does he yeah. have to do that? He's he's a great actor. He does not. Never can to... remember that actor. He Mavis gave me a confused. I, just, look. I don't. Grounded him. for life. Hmm? 
He was in Grounded for Life. Oh, okay, yeah. Patriot. The guy, the conspiracy theorist guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Basically, me in twenty years. Yeah, one hundred percent. So you right now. <laughs> so so yeah. this is what Will's doing <laughs> without the red hair. Yeah. But no, like he he goes in this whole tear. Yeah. He about caught, like, he's like here's the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. He's like, and they come up from the sea, and I'm just like, are we really just gonna? Yeah. So that's one thing I hate. But there's an interesting thing about that. He has the same last name as the John Goodman character in Cloverfield. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Well, and what's the other thing? Wait, There's wait. another thing. The, the woman interviewing him is the girl in 10 Cloverfield Lane that tries to get into the bunker and then oh, dies. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So it's like a multiverse. That's stupid. Yeah. Also, the bunker <laughs> that ends up halfway through this movie was the same bunker that was used. Like, it's the same bunker as the is it? one from 10 I Cloverfield could, Lane. I, I made me think of 10 Cloverfield Lane, but I didn't yeah. see any like visual similarities. Yeah. That, That's like, just something I read. I don't know for sure, but... Yeah, yeah I, I thought they were going to directly comment on that, but I, I don't think they ever explicitly said one way or the other if that's actually the same bunker, if it just was similar. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We I, know I where there's one it, we can film in. Let's use that again. Yeah. I mean, it looked it didn't look exactly the same. Like, it looked super, it looked a lot cheaper. But I think that's just because they did it in reshoots. Well, but speak, and speaking I, of which, other things that I hate about this movie, all of the Earth stuff... The Earth stuff was dumb. It was yeah. pointless. It was cheaply made. Like the fact that the whole movie starts with like a ten-minute exposition scene in a car in traffic, it just it boggles my mind that we go from Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was such a Dan Trachtenberg did a great job with that movie. I mean, that movie is like simple and like it didn't cost that much money to make, but like you don't feel it. You know, like you actually feel like it's pretty well thought out. I I I'm pretty sure Sam, were you on that episode when we reviewed the movie? Uh, I can't remember, but even if I was, I hadn't seen it at the time. I, I didn't see uh, either one of the first two until like two months ago, I think. Mm. And what did you think of the Cloverfield franchise till now? The franchise as a whole is a really cool idea. You know, I've always wanted to see like, you know, a uh, sort of anthology series uh, that you kind of have to put the pieces together. But the way they're going about it, where like uh, Anthony, my co-host, put it best, he said it's like they're taking pre-existing scripts and then just you know driving a wedge into it and inserting Cloverfield. And the way they're doing it that way just feels perfunctory and unmotivated, and uh, and it really shows, especially with this one, because you know it's the reason that uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, for the most part, I think worked was because. I think it it plays in a vacuum, no pun intended. You can watch it with no knowledge of the of the franchise, and until the last ten minutes, which a lot of people, uh, including myself, take issue with, yeah. it's perfectly fine. It's just a paranoid uh, thriller movie. You know, I don't know who Cloverfield Paradox is for. You know, because part of the fun is a uh, or what it should be. Part of the fun should be trying to figure it out, but it should also be just watching a good movie. And I just don't think this works as a movie, you know? No. You mentioned that the stuff in on Earth was not interesting to watch. I felt the same way about the stuff in space, honestly. You know, I just... There was uh, enough stuff in space though that I thought was kind of interesting because there was, like, creepy stuff. But, yeah, it I did... I suppose so. Yeah, in the middle. horror and stuff. At least it was slightly compelling. Like, the stuff on yeah. Earth, I was just like, why is this here? Yeah, like, oh, I've got to drive to this hospital. Now I'm not. <laughs> i got to pick up this girl, and we're going to drive together. But we're not going to tie that up at the end, because who cares? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're just going to show it. Uh, <laughs> Let's yeah. go to a bunker alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. I... There, there are so many weird things about this movie, but I think like you know what you know what what I who I think this movie is for. 
people who really love like early 2000s like cheap space movies or cheap sci-fi because that's what it feels like to me it feels like a kind of movie that like was made or written a long time ago before we all kind of figured out how tropey these sci-fi movies can be mm-hmm. like i this feels like a movie that i should have seen on like sci-fi and the thing that i think the reason why i think people are really hating it more than it kind of deserves is because it just squanders an amazing cast. Such a good mm-hmm. cast. It was a really good cast. These are such talented actors. David Oyelowo after Selma, like and uh, Queen of Cotway. Like this is where he. This is the movie for him. Gugu and Batu Ra. Like this is just. This is too much. Zhang Ziyi. What is she doing in this movie? She's been in some of the best movies of all time, and like she's in here as just like a throwaway character. It's it's ridiculous. It makes me mad. And like it's not even that the movie's like objectively bad in any sort of details i don't know if you guys agree yeah i mean i would say as far as the casting is concerned i do think everyone gives a, at least decent performance with the exception of maybe one or two people like who? uh I, I i would say the husband doesn't really give a great performance but i think that's just because the reshoots kind of mess up his yeah, performance just, like i think roger davies just doesn't have anything to do in this right i think but that's so that's not really his fault and i would say i don't know i, I i'm kind of mixed on um what's the guy from rush the movie Rush, uh, the oh, German guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, Axel Henny. Yeah, I don't know. His performance kind of rang false for me throughout. It, I don't know. Something about it just didn't really sit right with me. Are you talking right about Daniel me. Bruhl? What's that? Are you talking about Daniel Bruhl? Because he yeah, played the Daniel German. Bruhl. Okay. Because Henny was, yeah, the, I, I was uh, the Russian. Gosh, this movie. No, I was saying the German. The Yeah, Daniel Bruhl. That's his name. He was one of the uh, characters I actually kind of liked. Him and Chris O'Dowd. Uh, I, I thought his character was like so cliched. Like it's, I feel like we've seen that like a thousand times already. But everything in this movie was cliche. So I was just kind of clinging to like low hanging fruit, honestly. Yeah, sure. I mean, like I can see what you mean. Like as far as like Chris O'Dowd, like we've seen that kind of stuff before. But I think he really sold it. Like yeah. even though he's kind of the perfunctory comic relief character, I thought he had some good lines. I thought he was actually genuinely funny throughout. His only problem Especially is that the whole. His only thing yeah. is that he doesn't make any sense. Like sure. nothing that happens with him makes sense. Like he loses. His arm. Yeah. Is this going to grow back? Uh, yeah. And his whole, he his whole reaction is like it gets cut off and then he just goes, huh, okay. Well, it's like weird. they're just, they barely react to it. Which like the, uh, it, this movie's not a comedy. Like you can't get away with that in this. I, yeah. I, I, I forgive it because I like the levity. Like the movie is so serious before that, that I just like that it gets kind of bonkers and weird before that. Or after that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I wish they did more with the hand stuff. Like it, it felt like they kind of introduced that cool angle, and then they just kind of yeah. like went like, yeah, like I was kind of something weird that's gonna happen. I was kind of into it when all that stuff was going down. But the problem with the movie is that the last third of it completely strips away all the weird Event Horizon esque, you know, body horror space stuff, and then it just becomes straight up like there's a traitor and like who is it gonna be? And it's like a very boring fight scene. Like it just there's no I, good like payoff to all these crazy paradoxes and all that stuff. Yeah. Nothing would have made me happier if uh, at the end of the movie, like the villains, like holding on to something just before like getting thrown out of space. Yeah. And the hand just came out of nowhere and just like punched him into space or something. <laughs> they could have done so much with that. Style. Right. That's it's, it's basic storytelling one one For those of you who are, who want to become filmmakers or you want to write any sort of story, you cannot have your craziest, most bonkers stuff happen in the middle. Like it, it, it's just not the rules of storytelling. Like every action has to be topped 
Every rising action has to be topped. That's what makes a climax a climax. So you can't have like, I lost my arm. Um, I get drowned in space. I, all these crazy, like, you know, worms exploding on my body. You, it's can't be topped by like fighting on a foosball table. Like that's ridiculous. And it's not <laughs> like, it, 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 that's the thing that drives me insane about the movie is that it's like, why, 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 like, why couldn't this have been salvaged? Because there's cool stuff. Well, that's what I mean. I think that comes down to the movie just being super confused. And I don't know if that's a producer problem or just the director was in over their head or what, but it just seemed like no one was on like the same page with this film. Mm-hmm. Probably because it kept changing it throughout production and post-production to the point where it's just like, it's like, like Sam was saying, like it's trying to go all these different directions to the point where it's not really appealing to anybody. It's not intriguing the fans because it's oh, and like, oh, we're going to answer all your questions, but all it does is raise more questions. <laughs> yeah but okay. and then like for people who just want a cool like throwback to early 2000s sci-fi film it's not entertaining or fulfilling because there's all these plot holes and stuff that don't get addressed because they're spending all that time that couldn't address those things trying to tie up to this cloverfield movie that doesn't need to tie these three films together for any reason like that's just not necessary so i mean to me it just became it, it becomes more frustrating the more i think about it well let's wrap up Which on our is, final yeah. thoughts and grids uh starting with you maverick I mean, where are you at with this one, man? I don't know. I, 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 it's like I think I you heard me as I was watching it, and I was like, "What? Yeah. What? Why?" What? I was just like one of those things where I was just screaming, like, "What? Why?" And please stop. Um, <laughs> I thought you were in trouble. I, I, <laughs> yeah, you didn't come out to check and see if I was okay. No, I wasn't yeah. that. Yeah, you made the right concerned. choice. Um, now this, I think you guys kind of hit on the head. This this movie just doesn't have a lot to offer for me. And I, I'm with you, John. I really liked the first two. Um, I liked. Cloverfield, the original, a lot better the second time. The first time I was like, man, this is... Yeah, me too. I, I was like, this is like quarantine. This is just another crap found footage. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not for me. But I think it holds up well. This movie does not belong. <laughs> I don't think it should be a part of this at all. And uh, yeah, so for me, it's it's Brigsby. I have to call him out again. You're wrong. I'm not giving this a B. <laughs> no, that was somebody else. Yeah, so somebody, oh, was it? somebody commented on our last episode. They tried to predict where we were going to grade Cloverfield Paradox, and they predicted you would give it a B. That is incorrect. This Probably is like a, a B. I think is what they said. Probably uh, a B. Yeah. I don't know. So what do Whatever. you get? Uh, it's a C for me, for sure. Yep. <laughs> All right, Simon Cowell. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> well, it's going to be a C for me. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a no for me. Yeah, yeah. All right, Sam Nolan, what about you? Uh, yeah, this... This movie is just, you know, fans of Cloverfield are going to be disappointed by it. Anyone who doesn't know the franchise is going to be hopelessly lost in the movie. Uh, I, I hope they start changing their formula. I don't do, I tend not to do letter grades. I usually do uh, stars. So whatever. A you're a cinemaholic five, now. So yeah. you're doing letter grades. Uh, sorry, sorry. All right. What, what is a two out of five? Uh, a C plus. Okay. C plus then, I guess. Now that's two a two and a half, isn't it? Because the three Wait, is a Didn't he say two and a half out of five? He said two. No, I said two out of five. Oh, two out of five. That's like a... That's a C. Yeah, like a C, C minus, so... Yeah. Okay, yeah, C minus, I would say. Yeah. What about you, John? Um, well, I was going to go to Will. No, but, I'm, all right, I'm sure. flipping the script on you. Paradox. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's a waste of a good marketing strategy. It's a waste of a good cast. It's a waste of your time. It's just a waste. So not only... I was going to give it a C... Uh, honestly, cause I gave it two and a half out of five stars, but I got to go to C minus because like, Whoa. it just, it also just, I think because it squanders all of its own potential that I, I just don't, yeah, it's, it's a C minus. Um, and then, well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, there is stuff in here I like, I think as far as pointing out things we haven't talked about, I think the score is really fun. 
Uh, I like the cinematography. Uh, I mean, obviously, we talked about the ensemble, I think, is really good. And I wish they were in a better film. But, yeah, I don't know. I just It really just does not come together at all. And, I mean, like you said, I mean, the marketing is part of the fun for these films. And as far as, like, a collective, like, oh, shoot moment when this movie dropped, that was really fun. Like, being all of us being there at the same time, realizing that we have a Cloverfield movie dropping that day is fun. But considering the movie is just so underwhelming, it, it, it really kind of tampers that experience. So, I don't know. I mean, I think as a film, it's probably, like, a C plus, And then as a Cloverfield, like, sequel, it's, like, a C minus D. Plus, so I'm going to give it like a C ultimately. All right. Well, that's a, a C average. C for Cloverfield. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. No paradox here. No paradox no. here. And it's funny. I saw this on a plane. I was a captive audience and uh, I was so excited. You know, I was like, oh man. Because I had had a crap day. <laughs> like, I was like in between flights and I was really hoping for this movie to lift my spirits. And maybe that's part of like why I'm being a little cantankerous is because it definitely was a disappointment. But okay. That's Cloverfield Paradox. It's now on Netflix. Uh, watch at your own peril. Um, with, with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, don't go away. We're going to be reviewing Peter Rabbit, 1517 in Paris, and a ton more that you are way better movies. I, or a couple of these are pretty good movies. So don't go away. Cinema Hawks will be right back. All right, let's get into our mini reviews, starting with Peter Rabbit. Uh, Peter Rabbit, which, you know, I was wondering, we were trying to decide what our featured review for this week was going to be, and we didn't know Cloverfield Paradox was going to be happening. Um, It kind of, you know, snuck in there. But uh, Peter Rabbit was one of our other choices. And uh, who here, raise your hand if you've seen Peter Rabbit. This guy. I am not raising my hand. (laughs) So I think it was just you and me, Will. Um yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk about Peter Rabbit? Do you? What, 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 well, sure. How, I mean, how do we talk about this one, man. I don't. Well, I'm just gonna interrupt you a lot. We were talking about it a little bit yesterday because you saw it yesterday. I saw it about a week ago. Uh, exactly a week ago, actually. Now that I think about it. Um, I don't know. This is just a weird movie, man. Like, I really do not know. I can't make heads or tails of it because it's heads or buns. You mean? Whatever. <laughs> um, I, I I try to grade it on like two spectrums. So like, I think. As a film, like as a piece of family entertainment, it's okay. It's inspired, sort of. Like it's really all over the place as far as what it's doing, as far as its comedy. Like it's sometimes very irreverent. Sometimes it's going for more of an innocent vibe. Sometimes it's going for a very adult winking thing. Sometimes it's just straight up meta. There's a couple of dark things in this one too. Yeah, there's I some mean, dark somebody stuff literally too. dies on screen, and like the and kids in the theater were up. like, "What?" Character pokes their eye, and they see it. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, really but I mean, film. like, the writing's okay. Like, the writing is solid because it's it's from Will Gluck, who, if you don't know, he has um, a pretty established history with Sony at this point. He made Friends with Benefits, Easy A, the Annie remake, uh, Fired Up. I think there might be one. I, I, no, actually, I think that's it besides Peter Rabbit. Two of those uh, are good movies, by the way. Yeah, two Annie of those are Annie is a solid. horrible movie. Yeah, that's a terrible movie. Uh, and uh, Fired Up is super forgettable. Yeah, I barely and, remember it myself i would say peter rabbit's somewhere in the vortex of all those it's definitely not uh, as good like i think easy a is definitely a great movie friends with benefits is good yeah it's not amazing but it's yeah it was, it was solid yeah this i mean I, like, I, I i i wouldn't say either of them are great but i think they're both solid i would say easy a is probably his best made film of all of them yeah but, uh, i i really like easy a that movie that that movie calmed my heart yeah it's a good one um but yeah no it just i think as far as like a film is concerned it's okay but like if someone were to go into this like as an established fan of peter rabbit 
I cannot imagine what their reaction is going to be because, like, this is, I mean, intentionally so, a pretty poor representation of what Peter Rabbit is. The Beatrice Potter literary. This feels insulting, right? Because, like, the whole point of Beatrice Potter's work was that it was just very beautiful. And, like, they have a couple scenes that are, like, beautifully hand drawn. But, like, this is, this is lowbrow. Like, this is, yeah. like, lowest common denominator for something that should be treated with I, what I believe is way more respect. It's a, it's a big difference between this and, like, Paddington. Because, like, yeah. look, at, look at the poster for Paddington and look at the poster for Peter Rabbit and then look at the book covers. And you can right. see, wh- like, which movie had a team that actually cared about the source material or that, like, had a loving respect for it. But at the same time, I wouldn't say it's, like, Alvin the Chipmunk's bad. Mm. Like, I don't think It gets there don't. sometimes. I think they don't care about respecting the source material, but I think they're not just like screw it for everything. I think they're actually trying to make an entertaining film. It's just that they, I think they picked the wrong property for this filmmaker. Like it's, it's not a good like mix of who should be directing this and what material they should be getting. Yeah. They just didn't go with a good story too. I mean like, well, I'll take that back. The, the story of it it is kind of interesting. I mean like the idea is that like, uh, farmer McGregor dies. Yeah. Neighbors basically the story is, PG it is neighbors eight. yeah there's like a rivalry between uh this guy who falls in love with b who's like the girl that like the rabbits it's kind of like their adopted mother and that they you know peter rabbit feels very threatened and it's kind of like a love triangle basically uh except it's weird though because it's like the stepdad narrative it's like oh i don't want right. this guy to be my dad but then it's also like she's his stepmom already or adopted mother so it's it's very confusing like the way that they try to make peter's yeah, Psychosis. it's like they watch uh, they watch like Neighbors and Daddy's Home one, and then they picked up a Peter Rabbit book, and somebody, I guess, woke Glock was <laughs> threw it in a blender. Like, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the uh, re- you yeah, got just, re- you got chocolate and really, really butter. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you got peanut or you got Peter Rabbit in my raunchy comedy. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> But yeah, so that's uh, that's Peter Rabbit. Yeah. I, I don't have much else to say. I, um, I, yeah, I give it a C plus. I would, say, I would say that James Corden, I think, is a good fit for Peter Rabbit. Sure, he's fine. I think I think he gave a good performance. A lot of people tend to diss on James Corden. I think he's fine. Yeah, I think he did a good job here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it kept my interest at least. It it didn't really bore me, but I just was really spending a time I would have otherwise been bored, being really really confused by what was happening. So. <laughs> I give it a C plus, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's things in it that are fine. Rose Byrne is fine, I guess. There's kind of forgettable. I'm gonna forget everything about this movie pretty soon, but I, I will not forget Donald Gleason's. Uh, I I think that he hands up in every performance he's in, and I I I just kind of dig his style. Like I just think that he's a, uh, I don't know, he gives it his all, and like he gives it 150. percent Yeah, I appreciate that about him. Yeah. All right, so that's Peter Rabbit. Let's talk about the 1517 to Paris. I believe only Sam and Will, you both saw that? Oh, Sam's right. here? Uh, I didn't realize you saw it too, Sam. I did. Uh, I saw it yesterday. Man. Okay. Uh, do you want to take the reins on this one, Sam? Sure. I'll give it a shot. I'll try to prove myself. Uh, the 1517 to Paris, it's an interesting movie, I think. Um, just just on its premise alone. Forget about like the you know the novelty of the actors or the people who actually lived through it uh when you do a when you do a movie about like an event a real life event that happened over the course of like 15 minutes there's a couple ways to go about it when making a movie you can show like 
the aftermath of it, you know, Sully comes to mind, which is also Clint Eastwood. Uh, but this kind of goes opposite direction. It shows everything that's that happens before the event. And uh, uh, in case you don't know, the event that I'm talking about is that, uh, I don't know the exact details, but uh, it was a train going from Amsterdam to Paris, I believe. And there was an ISIS terrorist who went on with a, a couple of guns and about 300 rounds of ammunition and was stopped at the last second by these three uh, childhood friends who just happened to be at the right place in the right time. And uh, what it decides to do is it decides to go back and show everything leading up to that. Mm. But for some reason, it just never, it never has any clear direction, which is funny because there's a, there's a conversation like two-thirds of the way into the movie about how, oh man, life is just propelling you towards one <laughs> final place and it's all fate and everything. And it comes off as so like... Okay, you you could have gone with that. Like, I it it just I don't know. I never really almost. It just yeah, kind of, pretty much. Yeah, I never got the sense that like there was one clear, um, one clear intention in mind. You know, it's like it's trying to be so many different things because it's about three people, but the focus is really unevenly divided. I think so. I'm not really sure who I'm supposed to be following or whose perspective it's from. They bring up all sorts of things that never come back in the end, and they also bring up all sorts of things that do come back at the end. And uh, It's not god-awful, but they're, they're, it's kind of on the nose about it. And uh, I'll say this. Everything on the train itself, I, really, I thought was really effective. Uh, but it's just everything before that, kind of hit or miss, kind of slightly erring on the side of miss. Um, it's not like, you know, it's not one of the worst things I've ever seen, but it just, you know, it, it just didn't really phase me in any way. I don't know. Will, what did you think? I'm not far off from where you are. I, um, I don't know. I have kind of a checkered opinion of, uh, Clint Eastwood's modern work because I do, I actually, uh, despite what John might believe, I actually am a pretty big fan of Clint Eastwood's work, especially as a director. Sully. Yeah. Well, if he, well, I don't hate Sully. I, I just think it's a bad movie. <laughs> or at least here, here's where I stand on it. I think the 30 minutes that they're in the plane is really solid, really tight, really gri- gripping, engaging. And I think the stuff shortly thereafter that where the, you see him coming to terms with what just happened and how he's prevented this huge catastrophe from happening and like kind of like opposite of uh, United 93 almost. Uh, I think that stuff is very solid. I just think... Clanisa did not care about anything else that was going on in that story, i.e. the second half of the film. So that, that all that stuff is just really, really poorly done and kind of lazy, I think. And uh, I would say the same about 1517 The Paris, except like you were saying, Sam, I think there's like a really great 10 or 15 minute movie in here. But the unfortunate thing is that that movie is uh, just about 90 minutes long. So, yeah, like the 80 minutes that are leading up to this great little scene is just like indifferent at best and frankly pretty amateurish seeming at worst. Because, like, there's this whole subplot that they focus on them as kids, which is completely unnecessary. They yeah. bring in Judy Greer and uh, um, Jennifer Sham from the, yeah, yeah, and uh, Tony Hale and Thomas London, and they give them nothing to do. And the kids are not really that great, and it just like this. It just adds nothing to the story, and then you get the build up to it, which 
could have been compelling, but it really just it like again like I don't think Clint Eastwood's really invested in those moments, which is fine. I can understand why he's not invested in those, but it's like why are you showing us this then? Like there's nothing really to this segment that adds to the eventual scene where they're going to Europe and then going to the train that really makes the movie resonate. So I do think there is a better version of this where if they had focused more on just like the real time of going into the train and then like getting the perspective of the uh, shooter, like what's going on there. That's not explored at all in this movie. No, not whatsoever. Which I think that could have been much more interesting. Oh, that yeah. whole angle could have been really compelling. Uh, and then uh, just going maybe like right after the aftermath, kind of like what Sully did for a bit. And just seeing that, I think that movie could, this movie could have been really solid. And I think the decision to cast the real people, it's, it's actually really effective in the moment, especially considering like there's a guy uh, not to really get into spoilers, but there's a guy who gets shot like in the neck, and that's a real guy that got shot. And there is like him kind of like processing that moment. It feels a lot more gripping and real because that was something that really happened to him. And you can kind of question the more ethics of Clint Eastwood asking this guy to relive the most uh, traumatic moment of his life again. That's a really good conversation to have. But I do think in that moment as a film, that is really effective. And I don't know, it just it's just such a like op- like it's like a ups and ends up and down kind of movie because like some of it is just really great Clint Eastwood at his best and some of it is totally Clint Eastwood at his worst so I don't know I gave it a C minus and it's I mean it's basically what I expected but at the same time it's just really disappointing to see the film not be that good and have Clint Eastwood make such an underwhelming film that's ultimately a misfire even though it is a pretty well-intentioned one so yeah I'm I'm disappointed by it yeah, there there are parts along the way that I don't think are like <clears throat> that bad, and I can kind of see what they're going for. Um, and and just when it comes to the cast itself, the moments where they're allowed to improvise that I could sense were improvised. Those moments work because obviously they're real life friends and they actually went through this. But the there are parts that are obvious dialogue. You all you've all seen it. It's just forced and uh, not delivered very well, and it just comes across as just. Just ungenuine. <clears throat> I mean, you you see a little bit in the trailer like, when they're asking about snacks or something. It's like super stilted and just like completely forced. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I mean, there is uh, there is also one other scene I found really effective, and it's like when uh, Spencer, I think he's named Spencer Stone, he's in class and there's like a suspecting uh, terrorist attack, and they're all expected to go like under their desk, but he's like kind of rousing up to uh, get the shooter or potential terrorist or whatever at the thing and he's like holding up like a pen because that's all he really has and he's like waiting for like the door to open up and it's really well done and I was like oh there's there's Clint Eastwood again that's like the director I really like but that moment just kind of goes away and then uh, it just becomes a uh, part of a very mixed bag film so yeah yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what it's, was your uh, grade Sam? It's not a total wash I don't think but at the end of the day I've, I've already forgotten a large portion of it and it hasn't even been 24 hours so I think I'm gonna match you and go a high C minus but still a C minus another thing I wanted to point out with this movie is that usually when I go to like advanced screenings and they have a story like this the audience re- response is usually like overwhelmingly positive no matter like what the film is <laughs> usually they get really riled up and they like are clapping super loud and stuff like this movie there were like two people that clapped and everyone else just like <laughs> shrugged their shoulder and I was like yeah that was a movie and then I just watched out applause. yeah I uh, went to see it there was this whole family that were like uh, that were all going there together like alright this is 
I could. I think it was somebody's birthday, and then when it ended, they were. Oh like, no! All right, Janice. Well, thanks for the suggestion, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> this is why I'm glad I saw Happy Death Day on my birthday. <laughs> All right, well, that's 1517 in Paris. Uh, looks like you guys gave him a couple C's. C for commute problems. Let's move on to... There's a whole episode of C's, man. Yeah, Sam, it's, it's kind of uh, sad. Did you see Happy Death Day? No, I didn't. I heard relatively notorious things. Notorious things? Not notorious. I, I didn't hear great things, I suppose. So, uh, Will, you really like that, right? I, I like it a good bit, and John thinks it's a bad film. I think it's actually a pretty good film. He's, and he's I want a defender Sam. to this. I'm day. with John on this one too. Yeah, we thought yeah. it was. I cool. want I want Sam to part the tides and have uh, <laughs> make an even score, or maybe at least have a definitive Sam Holic's opinion on this film. So if you can see it, Sam. Uh, let us know what you think. I'd I'd like to. I'll do that. All right. Uh, real quick, uh, I want to talk about Altered Carbon, a uh, new show on Netflix. Uh, it's based on a novel of the same name, and I think Sam, you've watched uh, an episode or two of this one. As well? uh, no, I didn't. Oh, uh, maybe I'm thinking I, of somebody else. Did somebody else watch this show? Or I did not. Big uh, surprise there. Oops. <laughs> so no mini reviews here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be really quick with it then. Uh, it's the first season just dropped on Netflix. It's only ten episodes, and one of the reasons I I did think to recommend this to you, Sam, it because you really love Blade Runner 2049. Uh, this show is great um it is it stars joel kinnaman and it's basically it's it's kind of like blade runner it's based on a book where uh you're like your like entire consciousness can get downloaded on like a little zip drive and like bodies are called sleeves and so like mm-hmm. if you're killed someone can re-upload you to a new sleeve and that's the premise it takes place 350 years in the future and uh you know you're like people walking around like that's like the currency is like you know the, the very rich can afford to live forever the very poor uh can't afford to be in sleeves like you see one scene where uh this little girl who died they up they don't have the money to upload her into a good sleeve so they upload her into an old woman um so you can kind of see the disparity there and the story is about a guy who was like a uh, basically a terrorist with like these advanced sleeve functions um he's woken up 200 years uh, after being killed um, in order to help solve uh, a murder. So that's the setup. It's very Blade Runner-esque. It looks amazing. I mean, this show, I really hope you guys check it out because it's like, for a Netflix show especially, uh, it looks great. It's a great sci-fi, um, very good production value, and an interesting story. It didn't blow me away or anything, but uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, so what I've seen so far. So that's Altered Carbon. Um, I haven't finished the whole season, but I'll let you guys know in the future what I think of it as a whole. Thanks. But then that is was it, a real uh, quick one. So what? Go ahead. Is it like the better version of Repo Men with Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker? Um, I don't, it's so different. It, it I can okay. see why you would see the similarities there, but this is kind of its own deal. It's it it, it the better comparison is definitely Blade Runner. Okay, cool. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. So. Just curious. About well worth that your time. Well, once you yeah. watch the end of the effing world, um, many oh, other yeah. things. Oh God, please watch that. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So the, the other film that I saw, uh, I'm really going to quickly talk about permission. Uh, permission is now in theaters, but it's also on video on demand right now. Uh, it stars Rebecca Hall and Dan Stevens is directed by Brian Creno. And it's, so here, here's the deal with this movie. The premise is kind of basic. Like they're this couple, 
uh, Hall and uh, Hall and Stevens play just this like couple. They've been together since they were kids. They've never slept with anyone else. So they kind of have to like figure out like, okay, the next step is marriage, but like, you know, we've never been with anybody else. So they give each other permission to go ahead and um, sleep with other people for a limited amount of time. So you probably can guess like where the story is going. And for the most part, it's a very predictable story. Like you can kind of see where a lot of things are headed with that. Um, you know, and there are a couple of interesting things they do with it. You know, like Rebecca Hall, she, uh, she meets somebody and she actually really likes him. And then Dan Stevens character, he kind of like figure, he kind of figures out like he's got some like serious issues basically. Um, and they do, they do interesting things with it. One of the things that I really like about this movie is that there's a parallel storyline with, uh, so her brother, um, and, uh, Stevens is like his like college roommate. So these two guys, um, they've been dating for a little while. And so they have a different problem. Like their problem is that, uh, one of them wants to have kids and the other guy doesn't. So like they had, that's kind of like a, you know, point of contention. Um, I, I wasn't familiar with the two actors, but, uh, Jason Sudeikis is in this. He plays kind of a side character along the way. And there aren't a lot of very like recognizable uh, people in the cast. Um, so all that said, uh, that parallel storyline actually like really, I, I think makes the film feel more different than it probably would have been otherwise. The movie personally destroyed me because both parallel storylines deal with things that I, are very emotionally traumatizing to me. And so like, I literally like, as I, I told Will, like right after I finished watching it, that I was like in a bad state. <laughs> like I was feeling very traumatized, very triggered. And, uh, but in a sense, I did think it was effectively an effective catharsis uh, for me emotionally. And I think it could be for a lot of other people because of the things that they deal with. And the movie handles some really sensitive stuff pretty well. So I, I actually recommend it. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not the best movie ever or anything. It's kind of an average B-level kind of film. But uh, for me, it was definitely an important one to watch. And so if you, uh, if you have the time, it's, it's a solid, it's solid VOD rental right now. You can get it for like six bucks, I want to say, for renting. So yeah. Was it, What's was it called it? again? Permission. Oh. Wasn't Jason Sudeikis in another movie called Sleeping with Other People this year? He really yeah. was. Well, no, not yeah. this year, but uh, two years, years ago. Year yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good movie. That's I a good movie. That. I like that one. I, saw, I just saw. Um, I watched it like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, if, it's on uh, Netflix now. Yeah, if anyone's looking for a good fifty-two films by women recommendation, that's a good one. Sleeping with Other People. Yes, I just saw Selma again for mine uh, for this week. And oh, I saw The Lore. Ah, I haven't seen uh, The Lore. It's a Polish mermaid sex lesbian musical ah, you sold <laughs> uh it's a good movie i'd recommend yeah. it uh yeah well well let's talk about uh you saw something else called entanglement that just came yeah out. yeah it's good that you brought it up because i um i guess i had kind of similar feelings to entanglement as you did towards permission so uh entanglement if you haven't heard of it it's uh the new film with thomas middleditch and uh jess wexler who Many people, including Maverick, will probably know best from the movie Teeth. Mm-hmm. And you'll definitely know ago. Thomas Middleditch from uh, Silicon Valley oh, and yes, those Verizon correct. commercials. Yeah, those are I, those are unfortunate for him because <laughs> he's a really talented guy, and those commercials are grating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not his fault. Anyway, um, yeah. So Entanglement is uh, it starts off with a kind of basic premise, one you've probably seen several times by now. So uh, there's this guy; he's like in his thirties. He recently broke up with a uh, girl of his dreams. Actually, it was his wife. Uh, and he's depressed, sad, and he had recently had a failed suicide attempt. And he's just trying to find his place in life. He doesn't really know what he wants. 
where he can find it. He's like the type of character who would like put his whole life on a map on the wall to like figure out what went wrong. So he's kind of like a quirky script character as opposed to a real person. He also wears sweaters a lot and has unkempt hair and talks about his place in the universe and has a therapist that's a child therapist. So he's like a amalgamation of quirks and he meets uh, this girl who is kind of like the typical or typical uh, Mag Pacey dream girl type. She's uh, spontaneous, kind of whimsical. She does like spontaneous things like give a guy she just met her phone number and uh, she has very kind of outspoken outlandish personality and when i was watching the movie i was like oh okay so like this is like kind of like what i've seen several times before and i was getting ready to write it off but like about halfway into the film it presents this new angle where it turns out uh he i wouldn't spoil it i've been spoiled on this twist uh well which twist uh the the action one at the end or the one that's like the what the middle one because i don't think i know the end twist okay like with his father and stuff? Uh, no. Where his like father gets uh, in the hospital and he reveals something about. Yes, yes. Okay, that's the twist. Okay, okay yeah. so I won't, I won't. Okay, but I'll say. Okay, so I won't get into. I heard that. it's I the say, reason to watch the movie, basically. Well, that's what I was getting into. Like essentially, when the movie starts going into one direction, you're like you're getting ready to write it off, but then it actually kind of twists the uh, Mag Pitsy Dream Girl trope on its head. And it's like, oh, it's actually kind of going for something else. It's not going for that. It's going for something a little more self-reflective. And then it goes into another direction where it's like, oh, this is exactly what I expected it to be. And then it flips everything on its head to a point where it has a twist that I'm kind of mad that I didn't predict from the beginning. But I will say it's the kind of twist that you would probably predict if you wrote down three or four before the movie started. However, I do think it works in this film because it has a message about just these tropes that I think... It's worth exploring, and it's not quite as effective as, say, like 500 Days of Summer or Ruby Sparks, which I think kind of do similar things in a little more effective manner. But I will say that because the two leads, especially Jess Wexler, are really charming, really good in these roles, and that does have a lot of stylistic flourishes that are interesting, and the movie looks great. The cinematography is very good. Uh, Overall, it's one of those movies that I think it might be like a C-plus quality-wise, but... I was charmed enough by it and I got enough out of it emotionally and psychologically that I would give it a B minus. It was worth my time. I enjoyed it. I can't recommend it to everyone, but I think if you are interested in dissections of this kind of popular rom-com trope, you'll, you'll get a good amount out of it. So yeah, B minus. Um, and I, I should mention one movie that you mentioned was uh, Ruby Sparks, which was co-directed by a woman. So you could add that to your 52 films by women list. Yeah, right on. If you, uh, the same people made Loma Sunshine and Battle of Sexes. Also, two other really good movies to watch for that. Uh, I well, like Battle of Sexes. Sex. Okay, I still really like that movie. So you can just, yeah. Between, <laughs> well, we Sully, between Sully and Battle of the Sexes, I just... And Happy Death Day. Well, hmm. I, I would say of the three... Uh well I mean Battle of Sexes is not bad I just think it's kind of average. Mm. You think Happy Death Day is a bad film and yeah. I think Sully's a bad film. Yeah, one day we'll so, reconcile this. That's a, that's a yeah yeah. Um okay so I have one more before we finish out. Uh, when we first met, uh, this is a new Netflix movie starring Adam Devine, Alexander Daddario, Shelley Hennig, and Robbie Amell. And uh, oh, and Andrew Bachelor, also known as King Batch, a vine stardom. Uh, I he, met him once. 
Did, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about he that. He bought the a guitar uh, center. Yeah, I was working at a guitar center, and he bought him and um. Oh, I can't remember the comedian's name. The Filipino comedian who's really famous for his phrase "ting ting." Mm. Joe Joe something. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, they both came into Guitar Center, and they wanted to buy like a Tascam recorder because they were going to start a podcast, but they never did. I gave him a discount, and Joe, the comedian, sent me a bunch of shirts and discs like for hooking him up with the discount. Yeah, King Batch. Yeah, uh, good friends with Logan Paul. So, this good movie, <laughs> this movie, Wholesome First Met, uh, is about a guy uh, who, he met the girl of his dreams one night at a Halloween party a few years ago, 2014, and unfortunately, she fell in love with somebody else, and so he was friend-zoned basically that night. And so, he stumbles upon this like time travel method. Uh, it's very About Time-esque. Uh, about Time is the like superior version of this film, I should point out, first of all. And so he goes back in time and he tries to relive that night over and over again in order to uh, meet her the first time and figure out how to not be in the friend zone. That's the basic premise of the movie. It goes back and forth too. So like he'll go back in time and then he'll change a whole bunch of ways that he meets her. And then he'll wake up the next day, three years later and see the results. And then he'll do the same thing again a few more times. So like, it's like Groundhog's Day meets About Time meets Back to the Future and so on. It it borrows from a lot of other movies. And uh, the way that I worded this in my review is that this is a movie that if, if it was funny, I would definitely recommend it because the, the, it has a good ROM to its com, but it's not funny. And it's a, it's a chore to watch this movie, the first half. Like the first half is insufferable because you're just watching Adam Devine do despicable things and just be very unlikable. A highlight of the first half is that he just completely gets beat up for being a stalker, uh, rightfully so. And it's kind of fun to watch him just get hurt, which I felt bad about. I didn't want to watch somebody get hurt and feel good about it, but that's what where this movie put me. I think uh, you could have just said the first half of this movie is insufferable because you're watching Adam Devine, the point would have came across. I, I yeah I, I'm really with that like I'm not a big Adam Devine fan for sure I never liked him on Workaholics I, I just I'm not you know I'm, I I don't really like his brand of comedy his little short cameo in Community is pretty bad and like I don't know I just never liked him um, Mike uh, and Dave yeah. Wedding Dates he was very tough to watch in that movie too I just I, I'm just not a fan I think Mike and Dave the Wedding Dates might have been a decent film if he had not been cast one of the two sure. leads but I believe it um efron and efron and plaza kind of carry that one and kendrick and kendrick yeah that's what i mean so that said uh the last part of this movie though completely surprised me it really did i thought that i was like predicting this movie and i was like it's gonna do this and this and this it actually doesn't it actually has a genuinely interesting surprise um i think some people will call it or see it coming but like the way that they do it it, do, it did feel like the, the director, Ari Stendel, had something in mind, and it does have something meaningful to say, and it, there, there's a good message in here. So, like, I'm very conflicted. I'm very, like, confused about this movie because, like, I don't know if you can stomach through some really terrible lowbrow comedy, you actually do get to an ending that I think is kind of genuinely sweet, and I think dudes should watch because dudes, in my opinion, do not understand how the friend zone works, and they treat it as this sort of, like, mythical, like this sort of like thing that is just so terrible. And it's like, Oh, it must be so hard being a guy because the friend zone is a thing. And I, I think this movie kind of takes, takes that concept to task and puts it on dudes um, instead of the other way around. And that was a reason why like watching the movie, I was getting really mad because I thought it was doing the opposite. I thought that it was really like removing a lot of, uh, the responsibility on guys in certain relationships and how we befriend women. And like, there's a lot of things going on in this movie, surprisingly enough, but you just have to sit through a bunch of crap. So anyway, that's when we first met. I don't know what to grade it. I, I 
uh, like I <laughs> on Twitter I was trying to do binary reviews like one is good zero is bad and like with this one I put like the sigma symbol because I don't know where I'm at really <laughs> um, I don't know it's 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 a tough one to recommend but like I I think I ended up on like a really really low B minus which is being pretty generous because uh, it really isn't funny so like that's that's well, the big issue with it. You said you'd give it like a three out of five, right? That's what you yeah, told me so before. it's it's it might be closer to like a C plus, maybe I don't know. Uh, well, I I would say a three out of five is like a B minus, but yeah, like a B minus C plus. So it's all nebulous. So just say yeah, just say three out of five stars. That works. Do quit telling me what to do, Will. Like, okay. can we just? <laughs> I want to go back in time the day we first met and not. I'm sorry. Oh, that <laughs> we didn't meet in 2014. We met in 2015. I don't think we actually, well, well not like, we haven't met in person yet, but yeah, yeah, yeah we, yeah. we were first acquainted yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2015 and the romance has gone was swimmingly it, since. Was it 2015? Maybe it was 2016. I might be. Right. I think it was actually 2016. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Oh yeah. Cause it was around the same time as Swiss army man coming out. So yeah. And finding Dory. Yeah. All right. All that said, we have one last mini review. Uh, I saw part of this one. I didn't watch the whole special, but uh, Maverick, tell us about stand up for drummers. So uh, Fred Armisen, decided to do a stand-up special my man fred i was really excited i saw the little netflix preview for it it's called obviously netflix or uh stand up for drummers and that's that's it that's a correct summary it is a stand-up special that is entirely dedicated to drummers although i'm not a drummer and i laughed a bit yeah i mean there were some funny moments in it and and i'll get to that in a second Um, it's really cool because you know how like some comedy specials they have like that little like intro skit or whatever this one was like to get into the show you had to show that you were a drummer of some sort so like mm-hmm. people were like hitting practice pads with drumsticks like every person in attendance was a drum did you have to be a good drummer no i don't think so okay i think that was more of just kind of a bit than it was yeah. an actual admission requirement get out um, of here you don't even but it was really cool because fred armison does a really good job of he has his you know his kind of brand of super dry comedy but he also has a lot of really cool history on like music and drumming itself like he does this one bit where he he has the the entire uh venue is split in half and down the middle are like nine drum sets each from a different era so like there's a a bit he does where he goes through like this is what drumming sounded like in the 20s and then 50s all the way up to like the 90s early 2000s so it's really funny and it makes that you know that part kind of funny um as a musician, I think I got a lot more from it than someone like, you know, if you just like comedy specials and stuff, but you're not really a musician or don't know much about, because he does a lot of really specific it's a niche niche stuff. Like, I mean, I don't know if that's part of the joke or if he it's was just, passion. if he was just like, yeah, let's I think just he was, do a yeah. special for drummers and that's it. But, uh, Good enough for it, me. it is, there is some specific stuff. Like, I mean, when it comes down to like different brands of symbols and like how to put a drum set together and stuff like, so if you don't know a lot of that stuff, you're going to be like, what? I was lost. For yeah, parts of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I sent it to my, my musician friend, Tom, who's, he, he knows a lot about music stuff and he texts me. He's like, this is not good. <laughs> like, and he knew a lot about it, you know, and, and the jokes about music stores and stuff like that they are funny but again you kind of have to be in he that. said it's not good like he didn't he didn't like it at all and i'll get to that in a second mm-hmm. uh, i never liked tom yeah i knew <laughs> um anyway yeah and, and that's where i get to the actual comedy itself it, it's it's very fred armison right like it's very dry it's very him but man there, there were some times where it was hard to like sit through where i'd be like okay so where like when's he gonna do his punchline or what like when is this gonna get funny and there were a lot of times where it just kind of didn't um Mm. he does this really 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 drawn out long bit about like accents across the u.s and 
like it was funny at it's first specific it, but it yeah it just i don't know i feel like so much of the special was you have to know these things pretty well to even care and i don't think a large like i think a lot of people who are going to watch this are like big portlandia I mean, fans and snl fans. i was gonna say that and, sounds like exactly what portlandia fans will like because portlandia is pretty similar it's like very specific kind of humor and not- yeah but i feel like portlandia is way more accessible than this yeah i, was, I, was I don't, say, know, I don't I mean, feel like portlandia i like portlandia but i feel like i i i don't know if you'd get like an overwhelmingly positive response from portlandia if you showed it to like a hundred people i don't know I, i'm I just think, not really sure i disagree i think that what makes portlandia work is that even if you've never been to portland you probably are aware of hipster culture and you're probably like you probably have like that kind of scene in your town for sure so like and enough of the humor is kind of like so over the top that it's funny on its own yeah i, I i'm with john on this one i think i think portlandia is a lot more accessible than this stand-up is but i will say if you are a drummer or are heavily involved in like music and music culture and stuff like that I think you'll get something from it. It did have really funny moments. Unless you're talking. He does a lot of really funny bits on like jazz, which I thought were hilarious. But for the most part, I think it's a pretty slow, drawn out, not incredibly hilarious stand up mm. um, that has cool moments to it. There are some cool drummers. He brings out some pretty legendary drummers to help him along with some bits. And that was cool. But I think the, oh, this is cool or this is informative very much outweighs the, this is funny or like I'm going to recommend this to a friend. So that's where I'm at with it. Why did Tom hate it? I, I just don't think, like I said, it's not for everybody. And I just think he was looking for more of the humor. You mm. know, he thought the music parts were cool as well, you know, but there just wasn't a ton to really belly laugh at. You know what I mean? I tell you, I don't dislike Tom. I just don't get him. Well, it's a good thing he doesn't <laughs> listen to the show. Yeah. I wish I could go back to the time I met Tom. I was so mean to him that time. This is, we're, <laughs> speaking of niche and alienating I, people. I met him in a movie theater. What? And oh yeah, so this is, this is actually a really funny story. I'm gonna yeah. tell this. So I, I, you know, I'm friends with my buddy Tom, him and his girlfriend. We had just met, so I was like, "Hey, why don't you guys come out and see a movie?" Like a big, we were like six of us. We're going yeah, to see Kung yeah. Fu Panda three. Kung Fu Panda three. We're like, let's come come Good see movie. a movie with us. So they came out. John was running late, so we're all there. And John comes in from the side of theater that they're sitting on, and John's never met these two people who are you know some good friends of mine and i'm like hey john these are my friends tom and alicia and he goes i don't care walks by him and sits down and doesn't talk to them until after the movie and i was so blown away because like i mean john's not in it like he's not an aggressive or but like what i the way i said it was like i don't care yeah it was a total like i it was a total bit and everyone knew it and because all of our friends like they they know know john they didn't know it was a bit it was hilarious it was really really funny and i I looked at tom and i was like i'm sorry i don't know what i don't (laughs) I don't know what just happened. It's not who I am. I just, yeah. I don't think they've been in the room together in the same room. Ever. That was like a year and a half ago. We we went to your birthday and like, yeah, he sat on like sat the, on the opposite, opposite end side of the, the restaurant, table. basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's really awkward. It's hilarious. We'll bring him on the show one day. And you can just be like, uh, Tom, what do you think? I don't care. And then that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> All right. So that's stand up for drummers. Did you give it a letter grade or do you think uh, it was one? Or? As a musician, probably like a, a B minus as mm-hmm. just like a person who wants to go see a comedy special, probably like a C minus. Mm. Yeah. Whole oh. docking of a letter grade. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, that'll do it for our mini reviews. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this excellent, as always, episode of Cinemaholics. I was going to say extended. I was like, I guess it's not really extended. But then I went with excellent. <laughs> I guess it was excellent. It was excellent because Sam Nolan was on the show. Oh, thank you, John. It's, it's always uh, good to have you. It's something that... I've been learning as the show's gone on is that if this is like the first episode that somebody listens to, they're going to think that you guys are just really hard on everything. Mm, yeah. It's like a whole week. A tough, of this is a tough, this is a tough one. Well, it is, um, it is February though. 
we have something coming up next week that I think we're going to be much more favorable on, I hope. That's right. Coming soon to theaters, we're going to be talking about Black Panther, um, as well as a couple other things. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about Game Night. I love Game Night. Um, so we're going to talk about that next week. And uh, Spoilers. Spoilers, yeah. What can I say? Your opinion on the movie, I guess. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, yeah, I just sneezed I, I through that entire thing. I can't resist. Um, and also, you saw early man will, and like we're gonna we're gonna talk about a bunch of stuff next week, so that's gonna be good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and pretty soon you're gonna be getting your first. Uh, anyway, that's all I got from Sam Noland. That's right. It's gonna be good. So until then, thanks as always for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Uh, Every little bit counts. And thank you to all of you donating. And we will see you again next week. From the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I am Will Ashton. From the Broadband Basement, I'm Maverick Hines. Uh, From the Internet Colorado, I'm Sam. We'll see you next time. Later.